Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm, of course, your host, Pastor Brad Gray. I'm the senior pastor uh, serving the Lord here in central Pennsylvania at the church Stonington Baptist Church. Uh, I am so happy to be with you. It's another week, another time in which we can just kind of hopefully pause before the weekend and just kind of reflect on some things. Um, And that's what I'm going to try and do. There's uh, a couple of things I really want to get to, uh, but I'm so happy that you have tuned in. Uh, Thank you for um, giving me some positive feedback uh, on the show and and for uh, allowing me to just have this space where I can just kind of uh, chat and uh, I can kind of think out loud. Uh, I think that's uh, a a needed thing in this day and age, uh, uh, time for reflection and thinking out loud and being... uh, being uh, sort of allowed to have that sort of space to do that. And uh, so thank you for letting me do that here uh, through this venue. Uh, So this past week, the first segment of this show today is what did I preach on? This past week, I was in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and um, 1 Peter chapter 1. Those were my texts for my sermon uh, in the Sunday morning sermon and the Sunday evening sermon, respectively. So uh, we'll just kind of go through uh, a little bit and just kind of share some things that I was, uh, that the Holy Spirit really laid on me through these sermons. Uh, So the first one is uh, part five, actually, of my sermon series, going through the book of Ecclesiastes, in which I've entitled Vanity Versus Eternity. And... uh, It's part five, but we are examining chapter four, all 16 verses, in which I really um, was, uh, upon reading and reading uh, chapter four, there was just this sense of, of loneliness that had been uh, sort of attached to some of the, um, to some of the observations that Solomon makes throughout chapter four, Uh, especially, um, when he starts to delve into this idea of a really rich guy. Actually, let me see if I can turn there. I'm actually turning in my Bible right now. Uh, He's talking about um, this man who has... Uh, or at least I feel like he's talking about this man who has come to the, like the end of his life and he has no one with which to share his wealth. Um, he's talking, let's see, what verse is that? Oh yeah, it's uh, verse 13 where he says, Better is a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer pays attention to warnings. And he talks about here, all throughout this, the, the futility, the, the word that he keeps using in the King James, the vanity, uh, especially here, the vanity of all of this loneliness, the frustration of loneliness. And I, we identified a couple of main sources uh, where this loneliness was coming from, the loneliness of oppression, the idea that you, and, and really... Um, let me back up. This idea that oppression uh, that he leans into here is not just some sort of oppression of injustice. I think it's actually the oppression of of being intent on yourself. And that's really what we were trying to... The point I was striving to make is that oppression always results from self-absorption, from being in a place where you are the center of everything. And the more I've come to to come to reflect on that, there is so much truth that is... that I, I think that is in that. That the idea that all of... All of life sort of turns 
uh, around me uh, that leads me to oppress others because I am sort of the one through and for whom everything exists. Uh, what an oppressive form of living. Uh, you are uh, living as if only you matter is a really lonely way to live. And that's what is the ironic thing that in this, uh, you as the oppressor, so to speak, you're actually making others lonely and you're making yourself even lonelier. Uh, he, Solomon makes this really pointed observation there that, that oppression aggravates loneliness and actually leads to uh, those who are feeling the weight of your oppression having no comfort or having no one to solace and to comfort them and to console them. And uh, he also moves on in the next couple of verses. In verses 4 through 6, we identified the loneliness of envy, which is really tied into this oppressive idea, but uh, it really, I think, is a little bit more pointed because he makes the comment in verse 4 where all of man's work and labor and toil and stress and, and everything, all of that, all of that striving was only driven, as he says there, uh, verse 4, I saw that all labor and, and all skillful work is due to one person's jealousy of another. This too is futile in a, in a pursuit of the wind. So he makes this comment that everything that man does, it's always driven by envy, by jealousy, by this sort of incipient, incipient rage that he has for this other person's blessings or gifts or belongings. And you can see this, that we are so driven by competition. We are driven by this comparative sort of framework in which we always have to be better than the person ahead of us. And we have to beat the person ahead of us so that there is no one ahead of us. But the problem with that is there will always be someone somewhat ahead of us or somewhat beyond us, beyond our reach, beyond our grasp. And uh, I think that this too, just like oppression uh, in this sort of way makes you in a very lonely spot, so does envy. I think it actually puts you in the loneliest spot of all, at the center of all of life's uh, blessings, you would say that that belongs to me. That is what I deserve. That's a very lonely spot to be in. And also, throughout the rest of the chapter, Solomon identifies this loneliness of more, this idea of you uh, striving to have more and more and more of what you think that you need or, or what you deserve. And he describes this uh, in verse 8, where he says, There is a person without a companion, without even a son or brother, and though there is no end to all his struggles, his eyes are still not content with riches. Who am I struggling for, he asks, and depriving myself of good things? This, too, is futile and a miserable task. That comment that he makes there, that Solomon makes, that his eyes are still not content with riches. Yes, even after all of his struggling and striving and working and, and all of that, there's no end. Because he is possessed by this disease of more, by this this incredible, uh, this in, incredibly taxing and a, yes, I would even say incredibly oppressive weight that he has to get more and more and more, and it puts him in a lonely spot. It puts him in a spot in which he comes to the end of his life, as we already kind of looked at at the end, uh, where there's no one around him, there's no one that he can count on, there's no community that he has. And what I love about this chapter 
is that it pinpoints these areas in which mankind either uh, endures loneliness or makes himself lonely. I think we could all say that we have, at some time or other, in in some little way, we have oppressed those around us by uh, making ourselves the center of everything. We have been envious of those around us and that we have been uh, possessed by this disease of more. And what I love is 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 something that I, I picked up, and I, I'm not going to say that it's, it's some sort of divine inspiration, so to speak. It's right there in the text, uh, the word that I, cu- I just could not escape this. Uh, I was reading, actually, uh, I, I guess I have to give all the credit to uh, Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, which we'll get a shout out later too. But I was reading in his book, And he's talking about John chapter 14 and Jesus's assurance that a comforter will come in his absence. And he's giving this wonderful, wonderful promise to his apostles and to the rest of us as we are reading the scriptures that there is a comforter that we have. And of course, Dane, in his excellent treatment of that little passage, he talks about the parakletos, the Greek word for comforter there. And, and in fact, Dane actually expands on that idea to, as it means, one who uh, one who speaks on behalf of another, one who pleads another's case, an advocate, really. A, it, that's really what that word means there. And how does that connect to Ecclesiastes 4? Well, in the Septuagint version of the Old Testament, the Greek version of the Old Testament uh, manuscripts, um, the same word, parakletos, is used in the very first verse, where it's talking about no one to comfort them. These people who are either oppressing or feeling oppression are have no parakletos to comfort them, no advocate. And what I love is the fact, I, I just, in my studying, I could not escape this connection, this connection between what Jesus promises and what is absent here in Ecclesiastes 4. And the fact is that Jesus's spirit, his comforter fulfills and actually fills all of the absent space where our comfort lacks, where our oppression is feeling most egregious, where our envy wants to wreak havoc on our lives. When we are possessed by more, our comforter is there. The solution, the answer to all of our frustrating loneliness is God's answer is to leave us with himself, is to leave us with his spirit, his comforter, his consoler, his one who reassures us that all of life is, is going to be made still by his presence. I, I, I just could not escape. I could not avoid th- this wonderful harmony between these two passages. That Jesus' promise is answering all of our frustration, the promise of his comfort. Uh, I really, really enjoyed studying for that sermon. Ecclesiastes 4 is a powerful passage. And I'm finding out more and more that I just really love this book of Ecclesiastes. And I cannot, I cannot wait to preach on the first couple of verses of Ecclesiastes 5. If you're listening to this and you attend my church, I really invite you to read uh, chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes in the first seven verses. Uh, that's what we'll be examining. But I have I found so much profound truth uh, in these pages, uh, truth 
that really speaks to, I think, where we are and uh, what we're going through and really what we endure on a a very common basis. Um, uh, So that was my Sunday morning sermon. On Sunday evening, I began a brand new sermon series uh, on uh, Peter's letters, 1st and 2nd Peter. And we did so by examining Peter's life. Uh, So we were just taking a couple of the verses and then just sort of highlighting a lot of the passages in which we find the Apostle Peter throughout the New Testament narratives. And what is what I found really interesting, and perhaps you know this, but perhaps it's worth repeating, is just Peter's uh, sort of ubiquity with all of the New Testament passages. He comes up so often in all of the Jesus narratives, uh, and it's really interesting to me how central he is to a lot of the Jesus stories uh, and miracles and events that we often recognize as very seminal moments in Jesus's life are actually really very seminal moments in Peter's life, too. And what I wanted to highlight is uh, in this sermon is just the fact that Peter knew uh, that he was not the rock on upon which the church was going to be built. It was, of course, Jesus himself. And he learned this because he had to learn through uh, a very profound way his very instable life. Um, I think that's what we find throughout Peter's life, that when Jesus affirms his new name, Cephas, which we often refer to as Peter, meaning a stone or a rock, he had to learn a very profound way what that really meant, and he learned it by learning just how un- how unstable he was. This, of course, is the sort of downward trajectory of Peter's life, which I think leads to his letters. Uh, that's what I really wanted to emphasize, the fact that First and Second Peter are really born out of what happens in Peter's life. And we see this through the Gospel of Mark, as we have this very headstrong, very impetuous, very sort of hasty character in Peter. And he learns very quickly through a a lot of events, most notably his denial of Jesus at the end of Jesus's sort of uh, uh, crucifixion and all that. Uh, He he learns very quickly uh, he is not one to be counted. On. He is not one uh, through whom the church could be built because he is not a rock. He denies his Lord, he falls away from the faith, and he, he grieves, he weeps over that. He learns by a very strong measure this sort of self-despair um, that he has in himself. He learns very quickly that he is not one that is faithful. And what is so miraculous uh, uh, is this very fact that at the very dawn of, of the resurrection, the angel is, gives uh, the women, specifically Mary, a very important message. If you remember, it's Mark chapter 16, verses 6 and 7. Uh, the, the women have gone to the tomb. They have gone to the place where they know they have seen that Jesus was buried. They go there and they don't find what they expect to find there. They find the tomb open, but not only that, they find the tomb empty. And then an angel gives them this message. Verse 6, don't be alarmed, the angel told them. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. This very specific calling out of Peter is one of the most remarkable, I think, uh, little uh, tidbits in all of the gospel. 
I think that it's an evidence of the very fact that Peter's life actually exemplifies, which is that our denials of Christ cannot shake his grip of us. That even if our faith wavers, that even if our faith is shaken to the point of breaking, God's grip of us is unshakable. His hand holds us and his hand is omnipotent. I, I, I use this quote in my sermon from B.H. Carroll. He says, when the devil went to sift Peter, he shook Peter's hold loose. It didn't take much to do it, but he did not shake Christ loose from Peter. <laughs> I love that fact. I love that picture. That devil, that the devil was trying to shake Peter and shake him and shake him, he did. But he could not shake Christ off of him. He, should not, he could not release Christ's fingers from grabbing on to Peter's life. And I think Peter knew he wasn't the church's rock because he had learned firsthand just how fickle and fragile his life was, his faith was. He knew how unrock-like, how unstable he was. And I think that's where these letters come out of. They come out of what can we rely on? What is our security? What is our comfort? What is our consolation when uh, life's trials, when life's storms, when, when life sweeps, sweeps us, us up? It's nothing but the true grace of God. It's nothing but the comfort that we find in Christ alone, the rock, the chief cornerstone upon which the church stands and survives and is sustained. I'm really excited to delve even more into First and Second Peter and to see all of the th- wonderful things that we can uh, highlight out of those wonderful books. I'm excited to preach through those letters, and I hope that you will join me as I as I endeavor to uh, speak uh, out of uh, out of those epistles in the coming weeks. Uh, those were my sermons, sir, uh, sermons that I preached this past week. That's what I preached on. Before we go into the next segment, though, I want to give a short word to our presenting sponsor. Do you like coffee? I know that you do, and that's why I want to tell you about Fresh Roasted Coffee. Fresh Roasted is a locally owned and operated coffee house right here in central Pennsylvania that is committed to providing the highest quality coffee on earth. They do so by sourcing only the freshest coffee beans and by using the most eco-friendly roasting technology in the world. Fresh Roasted's USDA certified organic coffee beans ensure that your coffee is consistently regulated at each stage of the production process and completely free of GMOs and harmful synthetic substances. Fresh Roasted Coffee roasts their beans per order with immediate packaging and shipping directly to your door, meaning that you get to experience fresh coffee at its peak drinkability. That's what I like. I was introduced to Fresh Roasted Coffee soon after moving to central Pennsylvania, and I'm so happy I was because I think it's literally the best coffee out there. Their Blackbeard's Revenge blend is out of this world good. Whether you use a regular drip coffee maker or a pour-over or a French press, however you get your coffee fix, make it fresh roasted. Go to the link in the notes for this show and use the offer code GRACE10 at checkout. That's offer code GRACE10 at checkout to get a discount on your next order.
But we're back now, and uh, we're going to move on to the next couple segments of today's show. Uh, so what am I reading really quickly? Uh, I'm reading uh, Dane Ortland's Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. I've shouted this book out on the last couple of these uh, episodes, but I really truly believe that it's a really profound book, and I'm really going to uh, just come out there and say it, that I'm likely going to be referring to this book uh, for many years to come. It's not that it says anything overtly profound, I think. I think that that's pretty true. But I think what it does is it presents this really simple truth in a very remarkable way, and it puts them in a way that just is so refreshing. That's the word that I keep coming back to for this book. It's a refreshing read that is so helpful and beneficial for your soul. Uh, so definitely pick that up. Uh, also, uh, I've also been reading a recommendation for you, this book, a book you can find for free, by the way, on Google Books, a collection of John Henry Jowett's sermons entitled Apostolic Optimism, which um, is... Uh, a book that I have really found a lot of remarkable encouragement from, and so definitely read that. It's a collection of his sermons, and I think you'll find a lot of benefit from from that apostolic optimism by J.H. Jowett. Uh, what's been helpful this week? Well, uh, this is probably something you might find surprising, <laughs> uh, or maybe not, considering if you know me, uh, at least in a little bit. Um, I just recently started highlighting and notating in the books I'm reading. Uh, so, for instance, in Dane Ortland's Gentle and Lowly, I've been highlighting and noting with a pencil in the margins, uh, just little comments, little thoughts that I have throughout as I'm reading. And you may think that that's uh, such a simple thing, but I've actually th- found a lot of benefit of that. Uh, I I'm sort of OCD when it comes to my books uh, in that I don't like highlighting them, uh, generally speaking. And so this is actually quite a step for me, <laughs> uh, especially since I'm not just highlighting, I'm also uh, notating in them. Uh, but I found a lot of benefit in that it keeps me centered and focused. And so I'm going to try and start doing that a lot more. I still haven't got around to highlighting or writing in my Bible. Uh, I just am a little OCD about what my Bible looks like, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Uh, but um, Anyways, I I found that that's been very helpful. Another helpful thing this week has been this essay, uh, I would say a striking essay, a sensational essay from Dr. Owen Strahan, who works at uh, Midwestern, the seminary that I attend, but also he writes and does a lot of uh, public speaking and public thinking for the Center for Public Theology. Um, And he wrote this essay called The Dash or the Distance, an essay on sprinter pastors versus marathon pastors. And um, this essay is, is is quite long, but it's one that I think is well worth your time. Uh, he talks uh, quite extensively about just what it sounds like, the idea of being a pastor who sprints to achieve his goals rather than a pastor who sees his ministry as a marathon. And uh, that essay is one that is remarkable. It's it's truly, uh, it's so well written, but it's so timely and so incredibly encouraging for me. Uh, I really devoured this essay and I've just been thinking about it a lot. I'm probably going to write a little bit about it later on in the coming weeks. So you can be expecting me to provide some comment on that. And also with some other thoughts that I've had some, from some other uh, resources, it kind of goes along with it. But definitely read that, The Dash or the Distance by Dr. Owen Strahan. The link is in the notes for this show. You can 
can find that there. Uh, what should you remember as we close out this show this week? I want to leave you with a quote from uh, the book that I recommended to you, Apostolic Optimism by John Henry Jowett. Uh, this comes from one of his sermons, and I just love, just love the boldness, the courage that this quote inspires. He writes this, quote, We preach Christ crucified. We do not whisper it. We do not whisper it in secret coteries. We do not timidly submit it for subdued discussion in the academic grove. We do not offer it to the hands of exclusive circles. We preach it. We stand out like the town crier in the public way, and we proclaim it to the common and indiscriminate crowd. We preach it boldly, definitely, Christ and Him crucified. It was the only message for the apostolic day, and it is the only gospel for our own. I have found so much in that little paragraph. The idea that we don't whisper this message, we preach it. We stand out, as he says, like the town crier, and we proclaim it for all to hear and to all be benefited by. I just love that image. I am so encouraged by that. I pray that that is what uh, I my ministry can be known for, that I preach boldly, indefinitely, without any sort of question, without any sort of hesitation or whisper, Christ crucified for sinners. Uh, that's the only message that has been from the New Testament day until now. It's the only gospel for our day, as he says. It's the only good news, the only news that folks need to hear. Christ crucified for sinners. Thanks so much for listening. It has been a joy to come into uh, your ears this morning and to uh, be a blessing to you. I hope you have found this episode a blessing. It's always encouraging for me to think out loud and to speak on things that are just on my heart, and these things were on my heart, so I pray that you have found tremendous blessing uh, through this episode. Uh, If you want to, and if you're not already, please subscribe to this show, Ministry Minded, on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. You can find the links to that and then notes below. I appreciate all of your encouragement and your support. Thank you as always for listening and for commenting and subscribing. I'll see you in the next episode. Blessings.